Humans are most alive when they light up from their passions. Curious to learn who will be sparking us today? Welcome to where we're most alive right now. Our guest for this episode took me on a little excursion to a part of the planet I haven't been in more ways than one. We cover family and community, podcasting and connection, conservation and climate change. So, of course, Billy Harvey and I are discussing hunting? I was surprised but intrigued to learn all this and more is under the hood of the outdoors lifestyle, and I found Bill to be an excellent spokesman for it. But to me, he's an even better person. I think that's obvious in our conversation, and in the few days since we connected, he's also been generous enough to take me from hearing about it to living it on a turkey hunt with him, then sent me off with all the meat I could carry from his freezer. It's been delicious so far, by the way. But it's not just what he's done for me. We got to know each other on a days-long floating camping trip out west, and what he did for the fellas there, well, you'll hear about it. Joking aside, I think you get to know a person in that type of setting, and I'm glad I got to know Bill. These days, he's expanding that reach, building community through the Log Talk with Pertnier Outdoors podcast, which I've enjoyed listening to, and I'm stoked to announce that what you're hearing right now is Most Alive's first crossover episode. This is part one of our chat, then be sure to head over to Log Talk to catch part two. In this part, we share some personal stories, I do a lot of learning and only look foolish a few times, and we talk about the passion and adventure that fuels this lifestyle. I had a blast and was really drawn in. Another perfect example of what I had hoped to find through this experiment. Sometimes you can feel most alive when you're doing some log talk with Billy Harvey. Dan Greco, how are you? It's so good to see your face. Bill Harvey, same to you, man. It's uh, It's been a long time, and it's been enough to hear your voice, because you've got a nice setup, and you've got a nice voice for this kind of thing, let me tell you. I've been told I have a face for radio, yeah. <laughs> Not exactly what I meant, but we can go with that too. No, that's the truth. You can admit it. I got a an odd looking face. Funny story there. I got I just want to get right into to I listened to the podcast with you and your brother the other day. Awesome. It was awesome. And thank you. I'm listening to that podcast and I never knew you or your brother. I knew of you guys. And then of course yep. you and I you and I met on the bro float, but our story is just unbelievably similar. And I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but him and I's no. story is is like exactly the same. What year did you graduate? I didn't graduate from Fredonia. Uh, I ended up. Oh, that's right. So I ended up getting cut from the team in the fall of 07 after my freshman year. And okay. I had a, I had a, just an awful, I had an awful spring season, quite honestly, you know, going transitioning from being a starter, getting to college and you're no longer the best guy in your team or the best guy in your conference. You're just another guy so you start in the bullpen and i really had a tough time adjusting to that and just got absolutely shelled (laughs) so i came back in the fall i thought i performed pretty well and worked on everything that coach asked me to work on and uh he cut me on the last day i couldn't believe it and it was it was devastating so like listening to your brother's story i could just relate so much with that and like those emotions of your you're done. You're not good enough. You can't make it. And like you're down in the dumps, but then just, Hey, look at, I'm not done, you know? And that's why I ended up leaving. I ended up going back to community college and played yep. for that spring semester. And then, uh, the rest is history. So you had to find a new, uh, new lot in life after the baseball days are over. It happens to all of us at some point. Yeah. You realize you have to go to work. That's what you realize. <laughs> you you got to do something. Stop playing games all the time, you know? Yeah. But isn't college crazy like that, though? Like you think of, for me, at least, you, I come out in debt. I've got a video production degree that I don't do anything with. And you're like, why did I, you know, I wish I was maybe a little more 
educated, excuse the pun, going in and make a better decision for myself. But then you, you think back to those times, number one, and you're like, you wouldn't trade them for anything. Uh, I hope people have had that experience. I know I did. And then also like, you can find some, some really good lessons in there. And that's kind of what came out of that episode. And for me, like, I don't know, a lot of who I am today is because I played even just D3 college baseball and had that experience. So was that worth the money? Probably even just that. I totally agree. And that's why I think it's, you know, all sports. I mean, I, I reflect back on my childhood growing up and especially once you get out of the, the little league and the stuff where your dads are coaching and you're dealing with, with other coaches, whether you're, you know, whether it's your mom that was coaching or your dad that was coaching before. And I, some of the most pivotal moments that I reflect back on were when coaches, I, I don't know what it was about me, but it seemed like coaches would really like bear down on me and were very hard on me and maybe not as hard on other guys. And I don't know if it's because they saw something in me. That's what I believe it was, is that they saw that there was more that could be offered and maybe I was coasting. Um, I had had that happen to me senior year of football. I I really, I was a tight end. I didn't, I was a senior. I kind of was feeling entitled to the, to the starting spot and the coach Mm -hmm. embarrassed me. You know, he benched me during a scrimmage and this is like the start of your senior year and you think you're just going to be, you know, I'm the starting tight end. I'm feeling my oats and he just shut me down. Never forget that day. I was completely devastated. And, uh, you know, that turned me around for the whole season and I worked my ass off and started most of the games at tight end, if I remember correctly and everything was good, but it's without those lessons, you know, and somebody telling you that you can't do something, you're not good enough. You know, I think, you know, reflecting back on that, I bet you a lot of those times those guys knew what they were doing and they figured, Hey, you know, this kid needs a little kick in the ass. I'm going to give it to him. And either you respond or you don't, you know, you have two choices in that situation. Yeah, exactly. You you like to think that that was intentional and that they're just good coaches. Cause I think that's a lot of what good coaching is, is learning what motivates people. And then, yeah, like you said, you got two choices and those same two choices, life's going to kick you in the ass too over and over and over again and you're always going to have those two choices like mope or deal with it and find a way to bounce back <laughs> it's so true man yeah it is so true so where where do we want to go i i just i kind of want to i guess i was so excited to talk to you about your brother's story that i just ran straight into the wall uh <laughs> because i'm listening like i think that was sunday and i'm like walking around i'm like listen to this podcast we're clearing the basement i'm like yeah i'm like i feel like i know yeah. that i feel like i knew your brother you know like I love what you're doing with your podcast. In fact, I kind of admire it because our podcast, Log Talk with Pertinier Outdoors, that yep. was kind of meant to be more of just like your Joe Rogan style, just wherever the conversation takes you type of podcast. Log Talk was generated from, we were on a trout fishing trip in down in Naples, New York. And it was the first time my brother had met Dan Zaylor. And Danny and I had gotten to be very good friends. And the two of those guys were sitting on a log and they were having a good old log talk with a beer. And that's, so that's where, that's what log talk means. So we, but we've like found ourselves over this last year and a half. We're just, we're so zoned in on hunting, um, Mm -hmm. which we're all very passionate about, but there's so much more to life. And there's so much, so many parallels you can draw between life challenges, just day-to-day things and like where hunting falls into it for us. It's not just about hunting. It's a, it's a lifestyle, you know? So yeah, listening to you and what you've started off with, with your podcast, I, I mean, I'm listening to these. It's just, 
incredibly unique individuals. You have a unique way of pulling stuff out of people and it's very, uh, heartfelt stuff. So I definitely, I, yeah, I've really enjoyed thanks, listening to that. So I, I figure what we do is kind of talk a little bit from your end and then we can talk a little bit from my end, whichever way we want to go, you first or me first. That sounds great. I mean, thank you for all that, all the kind words. And it, it's been so just good, you know, for me to hear that connection from people, people I know, care about, whatever. Um, I'm just a curious guy and I like to learn about stuff and I know I don't know about a lot of stuff and you're a perfect example. Like I don't know Jack about hunting, right? It's just never been a thing in my family, but I know people do it. People feel strongly about it. So when you reached out and you're like, Hey, I've been doing this podcast. I'm like, you do a hunting podcast. I'm like an outdoor, like, okay, (laughs) tell me all about that. And then you're like, yeah, it's all about the adventure and the passion. I'm like, okay, check, check. Like we're hitting all the boxes here. So this is one of those things, like I call it like little corners of the world that I don't know about, but people like live for. And I want to just tap into that and learn like what it's all about. Right. So I can see what I'm missing out on. And, you know, maybe it becomes something I pick up or maybe I just learn about it during that show and that's it. But either way, it's like, it's uh, a cool part of life that I I just like to explore. 100%. That's what it's all about. All right. So I listened to your last episode just today um, or finished it just today. And we'll, we'll start where there's kind of some overlap. And, and we just touched on it a bit, but you had some, uh, some gentlemen on there who have started their own business. Um, was it selling tree stands, tree blinds, right? Yep. yep. And now I'm going to get terms wrong today. I'm going to not have a clue what I'm talking about today. And you just step right in and, and knock me in the mouth and straighten that out when that happens. No, I right? love it. You just call them tree blinds. <laughs> I, I love tree blinds. That's fantastic. <laughs> Damn it. All right. I'm, oh, box, I'm up to one already. Box blinds is the box blinds. Yeah. Good. Uh, Buckle up, folks. It's going to happen a lot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But anyway, so these guys, I mean, you're talking about the business and and why they're doing, you know, this way and how it works. But at the end, it's like they're doing it because with COVID, like a lot of people, they've had to change up how they're doing stuff and think about what are they passionate about that they really want to do because some of the other stuff might not be there or they've got to fill their time with something. And it's like, that's the same thing that I'm hearing from the, the friend of mine who does freaking charcuterie boards meat and cheese like wait a minute i'm gonna make a parallel between hunting and charcuterie it's like yeah it's the same thing yeah me how awesome right (laughs) (laughs) that's you found another connection point yeah but so when you talk about it being a lifestyle like for you just kind of walk me through growing up with this and what that was like where what kind of place that holds in your memory and your heart really i mean it's it literally is something in my family that is it's ingrained. I mean, from all, all my uncles I have, so I got my dad and he's got three brothers. So there's four, you know, my dad and his three brothers, we have a family camp in Naples. Um, that's been in the family for probably, probably just about 50 years at this point, we're going on 50 years, the property and the cabin. Um, mm-hmm. so it really goes back to my grandfather, uh, who got into hunting when he was a young boy. Um, and his four boys and they had a a close knit group. My grandfather had two good friends, Bob and Jim that were, um, avid outdoorsmen as well. And they all got their boys into it. They all had multiple boys and it was just, you know, going to camp built, they built the cabin themselves, you know, cleared the, cleared the property, you know, for the spot where the cabin stands today. And, um, you know, you know, so my dad grows up in that world and that life in a, in a different time. Um, when you could drive to school with your gun in the back window of the truck and everybody <laughs> took opening day of hunting season off and it was just an accepted norm. 
because there was that many people into it at that point, you know, more of a farming culture, yeah. uh, especially out, you know, in the, you get outside of the, of the city. It's, it's a very, it's a very much of a farming culture and a farming way of life. It's just what you do. Um, yeah. So now fast forward to my brother and I, I guess it's hard to explain because it's something that we've always known. It's something that's always been there, but it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's more than just the hunt. It's about the adventure. It's about the, the work that you put in off season, whether it's with your habitat or through conservation or, you know, just going and taking walks and looking at sign that you find in the woods about to learn about what the animals are doing. Uh, but my dad started doing that with my brother and I, when we were, I don't know, I'm not gonna say newborns, but it's just, you're born into that, right? As soon as you go walk pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's kind of become second nature. And as I progressed through, you know, Jimmy and my, uh, and my dad were, were much tighter, you know, I spent a ton of time with my mother. We did, we did traveling sports, doing all that. And, but the one thing that dad and I always had in common or had the common interest of was hunting the same as mm-hmm. with the uncles and the fan. It was just like, it came to be October, November and the guys are going to camp. You know, that's just what you do. Yeah. And the guys go on the bear, the bear hunt, the guys go into this. So it's a communion time for everybody to come together and share those memories, build those memories and those experiences. And like that's unique for me talking to somebody that doesn't doesn't hunt or doesn't have that background because I'd be interested in what your perspective is of it. But to us, I mean, we'll hunt, you'll you'll put 25, 30 days in and you might only get one deer. Or, mm. you know, if you bear hunt for a season, you may not even see a bear. Uh so the perception of what it is that hunters are is I don't I'm curious from your perspective of mm-hmm. what it is, because for us, it's, you know, you talk about this being like a, an odd corner, like niche interest, but in the world that I live in, it's everything, you know, everybody's like, doing it. Ev- yeah. Everybody that I know is doing it. All the podcasts I listen to are hunting. Po- There's hundreds of them, hundreds of hunting podcasts. Wow. It's a whole, it's a whole new world. And that's, what's crazy about this is that the more you poke around, you're like, Oh, I didn't know that was thing. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing, but there's, everybody's got their own special interests and you kind of like, that's kind of one of the, like the walls I run into with, with the podcast and with our, our platform is like, how do you get at the people that aren't already in your circle? Because we're all already doing this, you know? Yeah. There's like at least three things that jumped out that I want to dive into. So I'll throw them all out here so that if we forget one, the listeners can just go nuts that we never covered it. How's that sound? Perfect. All right. So at some, you mentioned adventure, like at some point I want to ask about some adventure stories, which I'm sure you have. And I, I even heard a little bit of in your, in your episodes, but I want to go into that. I want to give you my perspective on it. Like you asked for, but I want to start with, like you talked about the family and the communion and the, you know, the togetherness of it all. And one of your, I think it was in this last episode, you're talking about the, uh, I'm going to get it right. The tree stands. Yep. And that your dad is like, getting close to his limit where the family's about to cut him off because he's bought too many, right? <laughs> yeah, <And> exactly. <laughs> there's one you said that stuck out to me. It hit me. I was like, whoa, like right there. That's that's it. Uh, it's been in the, it's been up against this tree for years. Nobody used it. It's like, it's you want to just take it down because it's useless. But he's like, that's the first one we ever put up. Just leave that. And you kind of like laughed it off. But I'm sure that means something to you guys. And you have that. Like, remember when I was X years old, this is what we did together. And there that thing is. And it could be there for your grandkids someday. 100 awesome yeah 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 and it gives me chills just thinking about that because you know i have ex- i have there's mo- there's multiple stands that that are ladder stands on our property that have 
been there now for probably 20 years plus. Um, I'm 33. So yeah, probably close to 20 years. You know, that stand yeah. that I'm talking about has been in that tree. That was one of the first spots that dad ever set up for me. When I walk by that tree, I can vividly remember some of my first archery hunts alone sitting mm. in that tree stand 15 feet off the ground and having a deer, you know, 10 feet from the bottom of my ladder and me going to draw my bow back and it looking up and seeing me and bolting off. Like, I, I mean, wow. I can remember that like it's yesterday and that's 20, yeah. that's 20 years ago. There's a, that, I think that's one of those unique things in, in the, in the hunting space and in the, the realm that, that I'm obsessed with. That's one of the things that a lot of people talk about is that it's, it's kind of like a, it's like a ingrained in you, uh, like naturally that hunting is like part of us. Like it's something mm -hmm. deep down in our soul that we all, that we all have there. You know, some of us might be more extended from, from others because of where we live or we've never been exposed. But when people yeah. get, when the people get the chance to, to experience that, it's like, there's like nothing, there's nothing like it because you get, you are as close to wild of an experience that you'll ever have. And that thing that's standing there five feet from your tree doesn't have a clue that you're there and you're in their house, you're in their world. It's like, mm -hmm. it's freaking crazy, you know? And, yeah. and it br it brings you so much closer. And as when you're younger, I don't think you really comprehend everything. You don't really understand life. You don't really understand death. So, you know, you kind of, you're just immature. You don't, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the, of the people that are getting into hunting, they call them like uh, adult onset hunters is like the popular term. <laughs> so that's like, okay. that's like someone our age or even older, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Somebody that's getting into hunting at a later age, they're more mature. They've, they've experienced life. They have a respect for things. Um, and maybe have just maybe have more time or have more money to do this sort of stuff. And they get into yeah. it and it just, it grabs you. You know, I, I watched, you know, just for example, my friend, one of my best friends from high school, Jeff Jones, um, I've wanted him to hunt with me you know, since him and I were friends, but he just never had the interest. Nobody in his family ever did. The pandemic hit and he's home. New York state makes the, the hunter education course, which you normally is a, is a three day in-person course. They mm -hmm. make it online because they couldn't do in-person things and hunting season was approaching. So long story short, Jeff decides to take this course and he went out his first ever time ever hunting ever, ever, Never been with anybody, never experienced it. His first ever hunt, opening morning at 7.15 in the morning. Sun's just barely up. It's legal shooting light, 7.15, whatever. It's first legal shooting light. And he mm -hmm. shoots an eight-point buck, perfect shot. Thing goes running off and crashes. And <laughs> you want to talk about somebody getting hooked on a drug? Like, yeah. he dropped everything, up, you know, golf, fishing, all that stuff <laughs> dropped for the entire month of October, November, December. And where I'll bring this back around to, it's that connection to the meat and to the food and to that, the passion that you have for it. And it comes back around to family because now Jeff and I, him and I are talking multiple times a week. He's, him and I are back engaging and we didn't have anything to bring us together. So now we mm -hmm. have this to bring us together. But now the experience that he had and he could talk about and anybody out there who ha is hunting and is bringing home meat for the family Watching your kids <laughs> eat the meat that you went out and harvested yourself, you, you went out and killed an animal so you could provide for your family, and watching your little one-year-old 
mow down on the meat that you brought home from a wild experience, it's like nothing else. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And you saw that entire, you know, you were part of that from start to finish and it's, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. That kind of leads into the perspective thing that you wanted to know about. So I would say, you know, I, I haven't just paid much attention to it, so I don't really have a whole lot of like, you know, thought out opinions on this or anything like that, but probably some of the stereotypical stuff that you hear all the time. I mean, it just, uh, most of it's pretty surface, but I would say the one thing is like the killing part. Not a, not a huge deal for me. I'm not going to like, you know, start any rallies about how it's, it's evil or whatever, but that feels like the, the biggest blocker to me is like, why am I just going to go kill this thing? That's not, no, I stepped on an ant the other day in my bathroom. and didn't think twice about it. So then it makes me go, where do I draw the line and why? But, uh, that's a philosophical conversation we don't need, but how do, how do you look at that and think about that? Um, as a hunter where it's, it's so integral and you mentioned like the life and death balance that you have that, that maturity, um, perspective. I, from my perspective, all I've ever known is being part of that process from start to finish. I've never, you know, I think one of the things and where I, I guess I would start with that right away is like trophy hunting. That's probably the one thing that most people that are not engaged in the hunting space, all they ever see is that news bulletin about some trophy hunter that shot an animal and it's, you know, whether it's a famous, like a named animal or something that, you know, whether it's Cecil yeah. a lion or it's this or that. All you get is the cliff notes of of that story. And that's, I think, a, a perfect snapshot of everything in our world now is that you only yeah. get the headline and nobody wants to read the entire story or the whole background. But 99% of hunters out there, well, 99 is a high number. Let's just say conservatively, 95% of hunters are out there to hunt for family, for conservation, for providing. There's people that go out and hunt that never shoot anything. They just love purchasing their license and going and spending time in the woods or going to camp. And it's the people poking the hole in the boat that get noticed, not the people that are doing everything right and going about their business. And for, for me, like to answer your question about the killing portion of it, you, I think everybody goes through that process. You know, if when you're a young, young kid and you, you kill your first deer or your bear, a bear or whatever the animal may be a turkey, it's turkey season right now. If you don't like everybody's at a different emotional state, you know, so that could Mm -hmm. be a make or break time for you. If that experience doesn't go hundred percent right, or if you don't have the support behind you with a mentor or your father, your uncle, your mother, your aunt, whatever, if you don't have that support behind you, you know, that's such a, like a important time to experience that. But like me at this point, I am so intimately involved in that deer's life with managing the habitat for the property that they live in, you know, understanding the process of how, you know, we're an active participant in the conservation model and that Mm -hmm. those deer are either going to die an efficient death from us with a weapon, or they are going to die of disease, get killed by a coyote or a bear, um, hit by a car. Those are all ways of dying that they don't sound too, too good. There's no good way to die, (laughs) but if, if when I, when I kill that deer and I take care of it, I process it. I use every ounce of meat off of it. And that thing comes home and I know that that meat's being used and I'm sharing that with my family and friends, you know, it's, it's part of the process. I think it's, it's a very natural, uh, 
and I'm, I'm missing the word there, but it's just a very natural, like, it's like inborn. Yeah. Like, a like I was gonna say inbred, but that's, <laughs> that's not, yeah. the right word. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're playing on the wrong hunting stereotypes. I know. There, I know. Yeah. I'm playing Jeez, the stereotype. Lord. No, it's, um, yeah, it's like very ingrained in your, in your soul, you know? And then I think mm-hmm. once you, once you, you get through that and that understand that that process, you know, there's remorse. I mean, when you kill, when I kill a deer, it's not like, you know, you have this rush of like adrenaline that like, wow, I just did that. But then there's that moment of reflecting and like, wow, like I, you know, I just took that deer's life and there's a respect that goes with that. But that's, that's how I was taught. That's how I grew up. You know, dad always, you know, he taught my brother and I that from the first experience we had with him doing this was Mm -hmm. respecting the animal, respecting nature, taking care of it, trying to leave it better than how you found it. You know, and that's, that's, that's the majority of people that are out doing what I do. It's, uh, they're doing the right thing. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like how you said it's kind of a microcosm or whatever you said of the world right now, right? That's the few bad apples and that's what gets out there and that's what everybody hears about. And that's another reason that I'm excited to start moving this podcast into these realms. Like I started with people that I knew and I knew what they were into, but I enjoyed talking to them. But this one, like you and I have never talked about this, right? So this is how I think we learn this type of stuff. And at least for me, like it's you're, you're, you have preconceived notions about stuff you don't know about, right? So until you're exposed to it, you don't know about it. You can't really have a justified opinion, but most people do anyways, um, or an opinion, not a justified one. Yeah. So I'm happy to learn this um, and, and be educated. So thank you. When you talk about the conservation, that, that part sticks out to me. You mentioned it a couple of times and you kind of went into it a little mm-hmm. bit, but can you go into that a little bit more? Like, how does that all play into to hunting? Yeah. Uh, conservation is a massive part of hunting. So just kind of like throwing a term out there and, and people can research uh, what the North American model of conservation is, but it is something back in, I don't know if it was early 1900s. I'm not a historian on this stuff, but we wiped most animals off of the face of this country, you know, buffalo, elk, turkeys, deer, every, it was, it was, it was market hunting. And, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Steve Rinella, if you know who he is, um, the meat eater Mm -hmm. show, it's on Netflix. Very, I highly recommend it. Um, Steve Rinella is probably one of the best spokespeople for hunting. Um, He's extremely relatable and somebody that um, he speaks he presents very well for who, who we are and, and what our subculture is all about in, in hunting. But yeah, you know, he talks, he talked a lot, you know, he's written books on this and stuff like that about how, um, you know, we basically, we wiped a lot of these things off. And back in the early 1900s, I believe it was, um, Teddy Roosevelt and a bunch of other people recognized that we needed to create some concrete direction in our conservation. If we wanted to preserve these resources that we have, not only with the animals, but with our, with our forests, our land, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have all these national monuments and state parks and national, uh, um, you know, uh, federal land bureau land management. A lot of the stuff you go out West, you know, that, that stuff was all, that wasn't, public land everywhere you know that that was that's something that came along with time and really just in the last hundred hundred years or so so conservation i i think that this is a a discussion if you saw a podcast i think you might find interesting to go back and listen to i did a uh podcast with todd waldron he's a a new yorker here 
um, very involved in the conservation space, very well respected. And the, I think the name of the podcast was Deep Cuts was with Todd Waldron was the name of the episode. And okay. Todd's Todd's extremely well versed in the history. And I'm very interested in New York State. Um, and he's from the Adirondacks. So he does a very good job with that, uh, understanding oh, cool. kind of the, his, the history of New York and things of that nature. Um, but trying to hone back in on your question with conservation, hunters are, we're, we're all very conservation focused because we love what we do so much that we want to preserve it and make it better, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So there was a, yeah. I wrote this down as we kind of started the discussion, cause I wanted to bring this up cause I don't think a lot of people know about it is that, uh, Pittman Robertson is, uh, an act that was, uh, from the federal government that was enacted, many, many years ago where a percentage it's a believe it's a varying percentage depending on the item, but all, um, ammunition, archery equipment was added to it. Um, and hunting gear has a, uh, has around an 11% excise tax put on the products from the time that they're from the manufacturer to the, the retailer. So the, the, the consumer never actually knows that they're paying this tax, but, mm-hmm. but we are. The, the manufacturers of these goods are. So a lot of people like to say hunting, hunting is conservation. You know, people can, they like to, you know, debate that, you know, cause you can say you are a conservation just cause you're a hunter, but you have to actually be doing something about it. You can't just, you know, wave this flag around and say that I'm a conservationist <laughs> and virtue signal all over the place, but you actually are an awful human being out doing bad things. So you got to actually be okay. walking the walk, but where I want to go with that is I don't think a lot of people, and I had no idea until I started paying a lot of attention to these podcasts in this little world that I live in really with hunting, mm-hmm. where we are funding New York state DEC is funded by hunters, by excise taxes. That's where the, the funding comes from. You know, mm. all of the, all of the state game agencies and all that, if they wouldn't be there, if it wasn't for hunters. So you see, New York State DEC doing work on boat launches. The DEC stands for what? Department of Environmental Conservation. Perfect. So that's so like if you go for a hike at Letchworth, you know those trails. Mm-hmm. That's actually uh, state park is what that is. That'd be under the state parks, but uh, probably a bad example with Letchworth. But you go to other close enough. Yeah, yeah. you go to other state land or state boat launches. Those that stuff. The people that work there, all that. That's derived from not only from the Pittman Robertson Fund, but Dingle Johnson, which has excise taxes on. Hold on, Ding- Dingle Johnson. I know that is a perfect, perfect name for that right now. I know it's. <laughs> I caught you. I caught you there. You weren't expecting that, were you? But that's a real thing. No, you're just making one, sure I'm not sleeping. No, the one guy's last name was Dingle, and the other one was Johnson. So Dingle uh, Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> so they so they put Dingle Johnson is exactly the same idea, but on fishing equipment. So. You buy a fishing pole, you buy bait, you buy lures. There's excise taxes on that in the background, and it funds all these things. So hunters inherently are very focused on conservation. Yeah. And where where we come in, like what what we're all about at Pertinier Outdoors, um, we've found ourselves in this little niche where we we are very passionate about conservation in the fact that we we are engaging with organizations such as uh, the National Deer Association, which is a, a white-tailed deer-focused uh, conservation organization that helps with, you know, recruitment, helps with, um, you know, they do a lot with helping 
uh, get hunters into it, as well as getting people out and doing activities to better their land. Uh, like quality deer management is something that's a that is a active practice where you are actively working on your property, you know, private land to help improve mm-hmm. habitat for not only deer but for turkeys, pheasants, uh, rabbits, things of that nature. So you've got these organizations that are extremely focused on conservation and you know some national deer association being one that we're engaged with um the national wild turkey federation same idea just on the turkey side uh there's rocky mountain elk foundation so it goes on and on there's all these different organizations but at the end of the day it's getting engaged and actually going out and doing something um trying to make a difference in the the world the little world that we live in here in new york state you know so yeah. for for example this weekend i'm going down and doing some volunteer work uh at uh state land down in alfred that the new york state dec is looking for volunteers to come and help with some habitat so there's an organization called backcountry hunters and anglers which i'm a member of and i'm gonna be going down there for a few hours to actually put boots on the ground and help build habitat in that area from what's that mean what what do you do with that so i mean you could go all over the place with this but they're so i'm sure they've been doing work down there um like timber management i think is something that they're actively working on on that piece of property so they what will happen a lot of times is you get these old stand forests that grow up and mature and the state is they have a an initiative called the young forest initiative where they are going in and trying to selectively they're not going in and clear cutting areas they're going in and selectively harvesting trees to open up the undergrowth which would create habitat um mm, okay. so and i i'm sorry because i forget that i'm i'm like i'm talking to somebody that's not in this realm and i'm like probably at a <laughs> yeah thousand, no i'm sorry I'm like, for that. Thousand, I'm like at a thousand feet right now on this but um as you can tell i'm very excited to talk about it so ba- it's great let me just i'll just put this i'll put this in a very simple term so if you go for a hike, what's a favorite park you like to go to? If you like to go for a walk around here or something? Well, so the family, uh, family vacations into the Adirondacks are big. Old Forge is like an annual thing. So Hmm. a lot of little trails there. It's not quite local, but that's like the family thing. Yeah. 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 Very familiar. So next time you go for a hike in Old Forge, take, take a moment and look around and see how much vegetation there is from your head to the, to the floor. So think about that. Every every animal, the tallest animal there would be a moose, but there's not a pile of them walking around. The top, ma- mainly, right. it's deer. So, if you walk into a into a forest and you can see for a hundred yards, when there's no vegetation from your head down, that's a tough place for anything to live because there's nowhere to hide. There's there's nothing to eat, and there's nothing to protect them from the elements. Right. So, habitat is such a huge piece of conservation just at the highest level, you know, that's something that myself and so many hunters alike are very engaged in trying to, the big talking point right now is climate change, global warming, this, Mm -hmm. this, everything we have going on. And so much of it can be controlled if we do a better job by managing our, our property. And so much of it is, is private land that needs to be managed properly for, the more green growth, the more young habitat you have, the more of a carbon sink you have. You can eat up, you know, yeah. that greenhouse gas, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. 
so there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. And I think, you know, in my realm, I see and I hear, and it's really fun to be motivated and engaged in this stuff because I can go out with a chainsaw and I can make a difference tomorrow. You know, it's, yeah, we're in this world where it's like, you just feel helpless in so many ways. Like I can't make it, make a difference. It's such a big, it's such a big world, but in our little, in our little world of hunting and owning a hundred acres, yeah. We can go out and make a difference. You know, we can create better I, habitat. So I love it. I love everything you just went through. So appreciate you taking the time and doing that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I keep going back to these connections with other other people I'm talking to in other realms. And they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to find their way to make a difference, make an impact, have their life, you know, help something out. And I just didn't know and like that hunting had this type of element to it. Like who's gonna think that hunters and climate change are gonna have have a little handshake going on? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And and on that, I think that we, we, like hunters are, I again, I should I should be more versed. I listen to this stuff all the time, but we're such a small percentage. And mm-hmm. there's all this discussion going on and it, and we're all sitting over here going, "We want to help. We want to do something. We want to make a difference." Yeah. But it's like what you know, we're we're a, a 3% of the of the whole country's population is a licensed hunter, you know? And mm-hmm. our that's one of the biggest challenges and I would say like speaking to yourself and to anybody else who's listening to this that's not a listener of our podcast or in involved in hunting or the outdoors we want so badly to, to just bring people into this like there's a big yeah. movement right now called R3 and anybody can go out and do research just google R3 and it'll come right up but it stands for recruitment retention and reactivation so hunter numbers have just continued to plummet because you've got a lot of like our grandfather's age, our fathers are getting to the point where they've been hunting for their whole lives. They're not really into it anymore. They're not buying licenses. So if you, mm-hmm. if we go back around to where I was talking about, like this conservation discussion and funding, if the state isn't selling licenses and people aren't buying outdoor, like hunting gear and shooting stuff, that money is not going into the budget to help support this stuff. So yeah. we need, we need to pick up where we've lost all those hunters. We need to pick the, those people up we need to get and either reactivate them retain the people we have or recruit new hunters and the biggest challenge i see and i think everybody sees within the hunting space is that we have a very hard time we don't market ourselves well we haven't marketed ourselves well because if you turn on tv it's all about somebody sitting behind an animal and grinning you know with a picture of them and yes we all when we are successful and we bring that deer home or we, you know, whatever that situation is, we are very proud. We do hold them with pride and take that picture. And that's not meant to offend anyone. It's just, we're like, we've worked literally so hard for that to Mm -hmm. happen that you're proud of it, but we've done a horrible job of marketing ourselves. So when we're trying to outreach and meet people like yourself to say, Hey, come over here. Let's let's tell you what this is all about. Like we're bad at it. So anybody out there who's interested in it, there's a lot of people like myself that are super motivated to want to just tell somebody about what we're doing because it's, it's just, it's a lifestyle. Like I am literally eat, sleeping, drinking deer, turkey, (laughs) 365, Dan. I mean, you're drinking deer. Yeah. Frappe the thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to use every part. I know. I, isn't that. (laughs) God, you called me on it. You're freaking sharp. You know that? Uh, I'm listen, drinking beer. That's what I'm drinking. Deer, beer. That's, 
Yeah. yeah, close enough. I mean, people who know me, including yourself, uh, I must have on the bro float at some point gone on this rant about the word literally. Like, I'm just people say it. I have to be an ass about it and be like, wait, literally. Yeah, sorry about it. Uh, I'll try I not to do to it apologize. again. No, you're good. <laughs> no, but this is this is great. And what you what you just said is so I think spot on from my outside perspective. Yeah, the, the marketing is horrible. I didn't know any of this. You telling me this, and I'm like, I'm you know, I'm biting. I'm nibbling at the worm here. Yeah. And I've never, I've never felt that before. Right. I've, I've got a friend who, a best friend who his dad is way into hunting. We've gone to the hunting cabin. I know it's part of his life, but we've never, he, you know, he doesn't talk about it. He just kind of lets us do our thing, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I've seen it. I've been near enough to it to explore it, but had no idea that there was this much behind it. Um, and I would guess on the conservation front, it's kind of one of those best of both worlds things. Like you guys are probably trying to, you know, perk up that forest to drive up the population there which is good for the population so we're not running them out of town Mm -hmm. but it also then gives you a population to hunt at the same time but if you're doing that it kind of keeps feeding itself and feeding the bigger picture as well at the same time right 100 yeah it's a it's a perpetual cycle and if you don't take care of it you know you'll have disease you know one of the worst things you can have happen is have deer you know, just take deer in particular driven into a single area. You go look at the city of Buffalo, there's deer in places that there there shouldn't be deer living, you know? And so like, you've got these suburban areas around Erie County in particular, which I know you're familiar with that, Mm -hmm. you know, Orchard Park, West Seneca, Cheektowaga, Amherst, that the deer populations are there. Everybody knows it. I mean, you drive around, there's deer in, in the broad daylight, just standing in people's yards, eating their bushes. That's not yep. normal. That's not healthy. Those deer are, they need space. They need habitat. They need food. And that's the reason why they're there is because they don't have it anywhere else. The housing tracks have built. It's people are driving them out of the places that they've lived for thousands of years. And now they're being pushed into these little blocks of woods behind the restaurant in town. And yeah. to me, that's sad. And I know that the DEC is trying to figure out a way to handle that situation, but mm-hmm there's also that public perception. So I think the more that people understand like why we're trying to do that stuff and why it's important to, you know, the best way I could put it is we as humans have interrupted, we've created this problem on earth. Like we have, our population has grown dramatically over time. We've built Mm -hmm. houses in places where there shouldn't be houses, you know, whether it's in the Rocky Mountains up out in Colorado, which I know you're familiar with, or, you know, in some of these beautiful places here in Western New York where, you know, oh, now there's a housing development and it just displaced all (laughs) of those animals that live there from birds to deer, you know, and that, that bothers hunters. Like that's stuff that keeps us up at night because it's like, we want to help. We are capable of helping with that. Instead, I don't know if you're aware of this, but what happens is a lot of these municipalities end up using like sharpshooters and people that go in at night and overbait, kill those deer. They will kill deer overbait with silenced weapons or archery equipment. And that's going on like town of Amherst. It's been, it's been, it's been on the news. It's come out and like that's taxpayer dollars. So people should Mm -hmm. ask themselves that like, would you rather have an ethical hunter who has to, whether they have to pass a, uh, you know, a, an exam to be able to be, to make sure that they're uh, good enough with their weapon that they can go out and be trusted to do that on the three acres behind their house, and they can kill that deer and bring it home and feed their family, or would you like to have 
you know, a police department sharpshooter go out there at night with a silencer on his rifle and shoot six deer <laughs> over a pile of bait. It's like, that doesn't seem right. You know what I mean? Right. No, I'm hundred percent with you there. No, I, I didn't know about that. I haven't known about almost everything you've talked about, which is <laughs> fun for me. Uh, and I'm glad you're obviously here, but I'm glad you're doing your thing with the podcast and the community that, you know, you're, you're a part of building, um, to, to try to do this stuff, try to get this message out and, and build that up. So you're, like I said, I'm, I'm nibbling at the bait here on the, uh, Poor timing after you just made that bait reference, but I'm nibbling I'll, at the bait. I'll dingle, I'll dingle Johnson in front of you. you dingle know. Johnson, but keep the uh, silenced rifle away, please. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm nibbling at the the meaning part, right? The the depth behind it that you just outlined, and that was awesome. But you mentioned adventure. Let's get back to it. Let's make it fun. Tell, tell me yeah, about yeah. some of the adventure in, invested in this. Well, I'll tell you, like, when my adventures really first started, it was actually the first time I met you. And that was... Uh, Come on. That was a bro float. Um, that was pro- it was that was the first time I had ever camped, like camp camped was camping yeah. on the river there for Donnie's bachelor party, and that was and, the Green River in Utah. Yeah, started in middle Flaming of Gorge and ended up at yeah. Swinging Bridge. You remember this? No, I'm glad no. you brought those back because those are perfect names for what we did. Yep. And I believe that I I won the MVP of the of the trip, and I think you were I think you were runner up. For your singing in the, <laughs> I wondered what the over under was going to be until that got mentioned. I think a lot of people lost money on that, but uh, yeah, that that was a blast of a time out with you boys. And uh, I don't know, you you put in, you put, you earned that MVP performance, Bill. Just yeah, solid all weekend. I I was intoxicated the majority of the time, and <laughs> had a Scooby snack, and that that made the the second day on the river just right and uh Manageable. and then i was on i was on groover duty i owned it i think oh, that's oh yeah i think that's truly what won me the title was was managing the groovers and then for anybody that doesn't know what that is when you are backpacking <laughs> or on any of these rivers out west they actually like you have to pack in pack out so we did this rafting trip for donnie's bachelor party it was like 15 or 17 guys it was yeah almost 20 and uh the outfitter actually gives you these ammo cans that have this like collapsible toilet seat and you have to poop in the ammo can while you're on the trip along the river. And everybody else was like, like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I'll do it. So (laughs) I did it. And you uh, stood up, you did it multiple times was the thing. I had done yeah. the most damage to the Groover, so I had to take responsibility <laughs> for the Groover is what it came down to. You're, you're a good man, Billy Harvey. You're a good <laughs> man. <laughs> but that's great. But but uh oh come on with the uh the hunting adventure. Yeah, yeah. So well no, I'm I'm going there. I'm going there. Okay, yeah. okay. So on that trip, we knew that the upcoming fall we had been talking about going on our first elk hunt uh in Colorado in the backcountry, uh, you know, fully self guided on our own, everything on your back. And again, like I'd never done anything like that. Our family, we didn't really camp growing up. So this was all like brand new to me. And, uh, so that first trip to Colorado in 2017 was that lit a fire that is just, it's continued to just rage inside of me for just adventure and just doing stuff the hard way. And you know, that, that trip, we, we shot three mule deer, seven miles, uh, back up in the furthest point of the of the area that we were in in this 
super far back in this this deep canyon and just the the experience of that and the pain the suffering the you know being scared um i've never mm-hmm. i've never i never been that far away from anything in my entire life and that first night that danny and i him and i went off on our own and i had this brilliant plan and Danny will listen to this and he'll laugh because he knows that Danny's a, a champ because he and I hunt together. When we go on these trips, it's him and I pair up. And mm-hmm. he always knows I've got some stupid ass idea up my sleeve that is going <laughs> to put us in a bad situation, but he goes with it. He doesn't fight me on it. He just goes with it. And trooper. he is a trooper and he's a good friend. And uh, I marched us bushwhacking, no trail. It was like seven miles up onto this ridge uphill you know we climbed probably four thousand feet of elevation um from the start to finish to where we ended up didn't know if we were going to have water up there long story short that night we were glassing for deer this is the night before opening day of season and glassing is when you sit with your binoculars and you're kind of just scanning what you can see around you and we thank you for that yeah we we yeah we glassed up uh a mama bear and two cubs feeding ferociously just across the bowl from us and like a bowl is kind of you know you get up into these high country above the tree line you get these kind of like bowled out areas and we were on one Mm -hmm. side of it the bears are on the other so that night we all i don't think we slept a whole lot uh we both (laughs) slept with our guns loaded and in our tents with us and uh and we woke up the next morning and that was the start of our first big game hunt out west and I'll just, I'll never forget popping my head over. There was, we were camped right below this. uh, We had found it on Google earth. There was this great big, like great big bowl that was elevated. It was off the bottom. It wasn't, didn't like go all the way to the bottom of this, of this Canyon. It was kind of like elevated. So you, and you really couldn't get to it. So it was kind of this like secluded bowl. And Mm -hmm. I said to Danny, I'm like, there's going to be game in there. And so that's what we wanted to get to where we camped so that we could pop over and just see what was in there. And I, Dan, I popped my head over. First thing I, I, I hear the wind is howling. There's nothing, there's no trees and no nothing. The wind's whipping. Yeah. I pop my head over. First thing it's is like first light, crisp, cold, probably like 30 degrees. First thing I hear is just a whistling of a bugle. And I look down and it had to be 800 yards away. I mean, it's, everything out there you know how it is out out west it's like everything seems yeah. like it's close but it's like a mile away but yeah. i could just i could just see there was a herd of elk in this giant bull that was bugling and pushing these cows so when they push them like just think about like a a bull kind of there's a whole group of cows of like a harem and he'll mm-hmm. be like pushing them to where he wants them to go kind of like like uh like a dog pushing the cattle to go yeah this side of the fence oh. you know it just all of a sudden it was like oh my god like we did it we're here it's amazing you know and that experience was it just like it just it lit it it's like this is incredible and then we ended up having an eight mile we decided to break down camp and go meet up with everybody else and we had an eight mile (laughs) hike which we didn't know where we were going we're just again bushwhacking no trail uh dropping down into that basin where they were all camped you know probably four thousand feet below us and wow. Danny was in bad shape. He was dehydrated. He like Rob Herman was there. He met up with us. Uh, him and Donnie were fishing. Another good they fella came, or two came, there. Oh yeah. They came up to meet us and uh, 
they met us at the trail and you know, here comes Rob. He's got his flip flops on. We're like three miles in the backcountry, and Rob's got his flip flops on. <laughs> but you know, he was wading in the river catching trout, and uh, he grabbed Danny's backpack and carried it the rest of the way. And that was the last time we went off on our own. It was like, okay, we're gonna stay with the boys for the rest of the trip, and it didn't take us long. It was like two more days, and and uh, we ended up getting up in the back of this bowl where we shot the three deer and went up and it all came together one morning and, and we, we shot in one morning, we shot three bucks and, uh, and that was kind of, it was like the end of our trip, but it was just, it like lit a fire for all of us to, to just go back. And we did it again in 2019 and, uh, had another incredible experience. We got a, uh, I didn't shoot one, but one of the guys shot a big bull elk and, uh, that's an experience, man. You want to talk about, you know, again, we were, we were about, just say like seven miles roughly. Um, and we had to go over a pass and carrying, carrying that animal out was an incredible task. And, uh, like the bond, you know, you like, you've talked with several other people about doing hard things and mm-hmm. that bond that like that you build in those experiences is just, it's like none other. Like you, you don't know how you're going to yeah. do it because your feet hurt so bad. You've been walking for five hours with a hundred pounds on your back downhill the sun's beating on you and you look back and you know, Danny's hurting and Brian's hurting. He's got knee problems. He's been battling health issues and you get to the truck and everybody's just like, like, it's just this massive accomplishment. And you look over at your buddies yeah. and you're like, I know you at a different level now, you know, like Brian and Danny yeah. and I have a bond that I don't have with a lot of people because we've done really hard things together. And I think there's incredible value to that. And that's, like that's the adventure in me. Like my family asked me why I, you know, like my uncle doesn't understand why I do what I do here at home. Like the last few years I've been, I've been hunting on my own and hunting public land where we own private property, but I want to hunt public land and push myself to do the hard thing. And like, it's just so rewarding. And I'm sure at some point, you know, I've got a son who's almost three years old and he's going to start getting into it in a few years and going with me and, my pro- my priorities will change, but right now it's about the adventure. It's about testing myself, finding mm-hmm. my limits. Like that's that's what I'm doing. Like, and I've got a Saturday to go out there. I want to like come home feeling accomplished. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That's a really cool story. As you were telling that, I think I felt what you were talking about earlier with the kind of that deeper, almost more like primitive connection to nature and to that adventure and experience of it. That just I don't know. It, it seems exciting. It seems thrilling and it seems like uh <laughs> almost like what people were meant to do right yeah like we did thousands of years ago or this might be a goofy comparison but as a non-hunter this is like as close as i can maybe get and, and this goes back to you like feeding your family and stuff with it so i bought a new house a few months ago or my first house right and when i moved in just doing some work you know home repairs and you know working with your hands putting things together making things better and i just remember I had a moment where I was like feeling really good. And I'm like, why am I so freaking happy? And it's like, cause I just did all this, you know, like I provided for myself just at that level. So I can imagine add in putting all that work into it, add in like the camaraderie with your buddies and then add in that you're literally providing sustenance to your loved ones. That's gotta be pretty amazing. I I would think it's just a huge extension of that. Yeah. It's powerful. And it's like, it's feeling alive, you know, like right now is Turkey season and I'm not a huge turkey hunter. I, I, it's just, I can only do so many things, but you talk to, 
the one thing like guys that are out there and, and are very effective turkey hunters and spend a ton of time in the month of May here in New York chasing them around, it's it's about being out there at four in the morning. Tomorrow morning I'm gonna go and it's gonna be 31, 32 degrees. It's gonna be crisp, calm, the sun's gonna be rising. And mm-hmm. you're sitting there in anticipation for that. You know, most people have never e- don't even realize what happens, but you get those birds. If you're ever up at that time in the morning, you hear the birds start chirping at 4:30, quarter to five. And yeah. when you're in an area where there's wild turkeys, hopefully the gobblers will start gobbling on the limb. And they're up there and they're trying to communicate to find out where their hens are so that when they fly down out of the tree, People may not even know that turkeys fly up in trees and sleep in trees at night. I don't even, did you know that? No, I hit one with my car once. I didn't know they could really fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was they on my way to the don't... SAT. Oh, really? Did it hurt your performance or? I think it, I think it kind of juiced me up for the thing. I crushed my SAT. Had to be that turkey. Where'd it hit you? It hit you in the side or in the windshield or what? But like the front license plate built dead up. This thing started crossing the street and I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm in the city, right? I'm in Lockport uh, city street. You know, I'm not going over 30. I'm probably going less than 30. And I see this fat thing just start making its stupid way across the street. And I'm like, it's not gonna, <laughs> it's not this dumb, right? It's not just going to keep going. So I like slow down, but I'm going like 15, 20. And I like nudge this thing barely off course. And it's just like, doom, and keeps going. And I keep going. And I'm like, what, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Hit a turkey. I'm waiting to ask the teeth. Yeah. And it's, it happens, but they sleep in trees, Dan. I tell you, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm that's not lying great. to you. So like tonight, the turkey would fly up into the tree and they would probably be somewhere near their hens that they're breeding right now. They mm-hmm. would be in different trees. And so in the morning tomorrow, I'm hoping to Lord Jesus that I'll go out there and that thing will start gobbling at about 4.30, quarter to five. And I'll at least know where he is. And you can, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll make a move. But it's not about killing that bird. It's about being out there, watching the world wake up. Nice. Seeing, listen, listening to the woods wake up, hearing the birds, hearing that gobble. It goes right through you. It's no different than hearing that elk bugle over the ridge. It's the same thing. So wow. it's like it's like chasing that. Like I would challenge you, like if you ever want to go out, you're more than welcome to come with me. And we don't even have to take a weapon. I don't care. Just to have you experience what that's like you know, to see a deer or to see a turkey or hear a turkey, especially like it's, it fires you up. It's Bill, I'll incredible. tell you right now on the most live log talk crossover episode, I would love to go out with you sometime and watch the world wake up. That'd be yeah. awesome. Dude, I, I would love to take you. Okay. And, I, and, and then within it's a, a few months, I'll, I'll have, I'll have you uh, hooked on it and you'll be, you'll be purchasing camouflage and that's right. Ryan, be pivoting Ryan a podcast. Rubber boots. You'll be going into the niche market of hunting <laughs> podcasts. So yeah. I think I have to tell this this horribly embarrassing, shameful story. I like I don't think my one my friend that I mentioned a minute ago with his dad in the hunting cabin would let me live it down if I didn't. And and then we can pivot to, you know, whatever you had for me. I think we talked about you wanted to yeah. do some of that. I'm not proud of this moment. You know, you have these moments in your life where you look back and like you probably shouldn't share it on something like a podcast, but I'm gonna do it. So High school, I'm like 15, go down to this hunting cabin with my buddy and another another one and his dad. So, you know, all being 15, we couldn't drive yet. His dad had to take us there, um, pretty much bought all the food, prepared everything for us. We're there for like a long weekend. He just stayed out of our way, except for providing every single thing we did there for us, <laughs> right? So the one dinner he grilled 
steaks and you know baked potatoes and we had this whole thing and he, he just did everything for us and then the one morning he's like hey can i borrow you guys for a little bit um i just gotta go put up some tree stands and could use your help and i'm like i don't know what the hell that means but all right so it's the you summer say tree stands I, or tree blinds would you say? yeah they were this time i'm pretty confident they were tree stands because i've heard about this every day the rest of my life that i see this guy right so yeah tree stands um so like it's the summer i was down in a buddy's cabin i had like gym shorts and flip-flops on i'm like yeah let's go do it hop in the car i don't know what i'm getting into we get to this spot in the middle of nowhere he, he pulls off we load up this wheelbarrow they start throwing stuff over their backs and shoulders damn why don't you take the wheelbarrow out i'm like okay so i start pushing this wheelbarrow and we're just we're just going through brush and stuff in the woods i'm like there's no trail like this is this is nice and i'm like my flip-flops are falling off my feet i'm stubbing my toe i'm getting scraped up because i'm wearing gym shorts like the, the wheelbarrows jamming on roots and logs like this is just horrible. And we keep going. There's no like, hey, we're going to go a mile or we're going to go. I-, I don't know what we're doing. I'm just blindly like getting angry and angry every time I stub something. And uh, finally, we get out there. We dump the stuff. And he's like, all right, you guys, you guys are maybe good to head back. I don't know. Maybe we could drive whatever. So on the way back, <laughs> I'm like just fuming at like just how miserable that was. And my buddies are like, what? what's your problem? I'm like, no, not that I'm good. Cause I know how stupid it is that I'm mad about this. Right. Like how childish, yeah. yeah. but they push me and they're like, no, come on. Like what's, what's wrong. <laughs> I didn't have the, uh, <laughs> the maturity. I wasn't a grown man at the time to, to not say what I said. And I was like, you know, I came down here for the weekend to have a good time. And I didn't expect to be put to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most shameful moments of my life, but it happened. That's like the most basic thing ever to say. It's like, I came down here to hang out. <laughs> Bill, I'm pretty sure that's the tone of voice I use. It's the only way you could say that. And like the other guy we were with pretty much like was a real quiet guy. doesn't talk a lot. He like whipped his head around and was like, dude, are you serious? Like they've done everything for us this weekend. And you just had to do that for like a half hour. I'm like, I know, I know it's stupid. Okay. But you asked and that's how I <laughs> So that was bad enough. But then my buddy being my buddy, of course, he didn't keep that between us. So now every single time. So I was what, 15, 16. I'm now 30. Every single time I've gone over to his house or his parents house since then and seen his dad, big, big grin on his face and just goes, Mr. Greco, you're here to help us put up tree stands. And I say, Mr. Eglin, I'll tell you what. I, I deserve that for the rest of my life. You go ahead and lay that on pretty thick, yep. sir. I've got a duffel bag in the trunk with boots and jeans, <laughs> and I'm ready to go to work, sir. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and I, I, I think I told him at one point, like, I will gladly put up every tree stand for the rest of your life to try to make up for saying that stupid crap in the car. And then he laughs. He's like, I don't care. I'm like, well, you should. That was that was pretty rough. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that's that's me in a nutshell, everybody. Nope. That's, your, that's your hunting camp story right there. What a rip, what <laughs> yeah. a what an adventure. It's up there with your elk thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's up there. It's it's an elevation, yes. It's me, man. You know, Forever. you're gonna just learn the real me, the scars from the tree stand endeavor and every and everything else. From the tree blind or the the, the tree fort to Yeah. Where, wherever we go. Now so, listen, I'd build the hell out of a tree fort. I I love I love tree forts as a kid. I my dad never actually built us one, but my brother and I would steal. This is one you'll like because you you you've met my dad. You spent time with him in the 
Oh yeah. In the green, in the green, green river. Man. They bought a house when we were kids, uh, or before my brother, maybe it was when I was first born that they planned on like being a five-year house and ended up being a 20 year house. So my parents, um, my dad was constantly renovating and he would have like trim out that he'd be like painting or staining. And my mm-hmm. brother and I, one day we wanted to build a tree fort or a tree stand in the little patch of woods next to the house. So we took a whole bunch of nails and my dad's har- hammers and took his stained trim that he had all prepared <laughs> to put on the windows and went out and started nail. We nailed it. We built a tree fort out of the stained trim that he uh-huh. had like a, he came home that day. He was so pissed and he's like, mm-hmm. where's all my tools and where's my wood? It's like, it's out there. We just left his <laughs> stuff laying in the dirt and his, you know, there's like 20 nails in the tree with each freaking piece of wood. Cause they're like finished nails trying to use to climb the tree. <laughs> oh, ah, it's perfect. Kids, hey, we're all stupid you know? in different ways. Sometimes, you know? you know, that's when I felt most alive was when I was hammering, uh, <laughs> hammering my dad's trim pieces into the oak tree and then the, the tree next to the, uh, the house, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here to share it though. Yep. Well, we're going to pivot to the Dan Greco show, the most alive interview here. Okay. That's it for part one. Be sure to catch the rest of our convo at log talk with Pertnir outdoors, where we'll talk more about most alive and how we see all this fitting into the bigger picture of life. While you're there, check out some of the other episodes they've got stocked up. They're doing some great things, educating people, sharing stories, and again, just building communities. So kudos and big thanks to Billy and Pertnir Outdoors for doing this with us. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, thank you very much for listening to this little creation. If it made you smile, let's do it again. And in the meantime, please leave a rating and a review. Follow on Instagram at Most Alive Podcast for bonus content previews or to contact me and maybe even tell some other people where they can feel most alive. Most alive.